Hello everyone and welcome to the August 2nd edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folds with Floyd, Scarron and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal ruled that a defective MPN notice can be corrected. Here's what happened. Cynthia Krauss sustained an industrial injury nearly 10 years ago while working for Walmart. Since Krauss had been obtaining treatment from a non-network physician, the claims adjuster asked her to seek further care from an MPN provider and offered assistance in locating such a physician. However, the letter was sent in English only. The MPN regulations require the notice to be in both English and Spanish. Krauss asked for an expedited hearing and raised several objections to moving into the MPN, including the defective notice. The employer corrected the defects in the notice by the time of the expedited hearing. The workers' compensation judge disagreed with Krauss and found she had not shown good cause to seek medical care outside defendant's medical provider network. Krauss then petitioned the WCAB for reconsideration after several convoluted hearings on this issue. The WCAB concluded that Krauss did not establish she was entitled to continued treatment outside the MPN. The Court of Appeal, in an unpublished opinion, reviewed the issue of the corrected MPN notice. The court considered the WCAB end bank decision of Knight versus United Parcel Service, which held that an employer's failure to provide adequate notification rendered the employer liable for self-procured medical treatment outside the MPN. They distinguished this case from the holding in Knight. The court concluded that the Walmart notice was defective primarily and that it was not sent in Spanish. There was no indication that a Spanish version would have aided Krauss's understanding of her rights. The court further indicated that the decision in Knight did not declare that a defective MPN notice could not be corrected. A split WCAB panel decision allowed an employer to attend an employee's deposition in a psychiatric injury case. Amador Padilla alleged a specific injury to his neck, shoulders, elbows, wrists, hand, back, and psyche while employed by the Los Angeles Metropolitan Transit Authority. The employer's assistant transportation manager, Carla Ailman, was present at his deposition. The employee objected to answering questions regarding his medical history, psychiatric history, and medical conditions in front of Ms. Ailman. He then sought a protective order precluding any employee of the employer from attending his deposition. The work comp judge issued the protective order allowing only someone from HR or claims management to attend the depot. The manager or co-workers were not allowed to attend. The employer petitioned the WCAB for removal of the case to overturn this discovery limitation. The WCAB granted the petition and set aside the protective order. Protective orders may be granted to protect a party from unwarranted annoyance, embarrassment, or oppression, or undue burden or expense based upon a showing of good cause. The WCAB panel in a split decision concluded that Padilla had not shown the necessary good cause 
justification for a protective order. The WCAB also concluded that the issue of privilege is not relevant to the problem of who a defendant may select as its representative to attend applicant's deposition. Commissioner Frank M. Brass dissented from the decision. He would have denied the petition for the reasons stated by the WCJ in his report. He argued that if applicant's immediate supervisor or a co-worker were to appear throughout applicant's deposition, his right to privacy would be compromised. And now our medical report. Researchers reported that many people with arthritis-related back pain might be prevented from getting long-lasting pain relief under the current treatment guidelines. Their findings add to an ongoing controversy about how best to manage up to 15% of chronic low back pain patients. Currently, doctors perform one or two so-called diagnostic nerve blocks in which they inject anesthetics into the joints of the spine. If the blocks alleviate the pain, it's likely that the joint was the culprit. The next step is to burn the nerves that carry pain signals from the joint with radiofrequency waves. This procedure is used in hundreds of thousands of Americans every year. In the new study of 151 patients published in the journal Anesthesiology, researchers suggest skipping the diagnostic blocks and going directly to radiofrequency treatment. Doing so, they found, provided 50% pain relief for at least three months in a third of all patients. Researchers concluded that perhaps physicians should consider just doing the treatment without the diagnostic nerve block. Radiofrequency treatment has few side effects and is not any more dangerous than the diagnostic blocks themselves. The researchers also found that the cost per successful treatment was lower when doctors did not do any nerve blocks for diagnostic purposes. An FDA panel narrowly backed an experimental Medtronic spine implant that uses a protein to stimulate bone growth and help relieve low back pain. The Committee of Food and Drug Administration Advisors voted 6 to 5 that the benefits of this device outweigh the risks. The device known as Amplify contains a genetically engineered form of a protein to help fuse vertebrae by promoting bone growth. Medtronic said Amplify offered a safe and effective alternative to standard fusion surgery using a piece of a patient's hip bone implanted in the spine. FDA reviewers, however, voiced concern about cancer cases seen in some patients treated with Amplify. At five years, cancer rates were 5% with Amplify compared to 1.8% in the standard fusion group. Medtronic said the differences were not statistically significant. Panel members were split on whether the protein in the device might contribute to cancers. Soon, injured workers may be able to grow their own joint replacements according to a team of researchers. These researchers reported that rabbits implanted with artificial bones regrew their own joints complete with cartilage. Only a single compound called a growth factor was needed to induce the rabbit's bodies to remodel the joint tissue. Such a joint should last longer and work more naturally than a metal joint, the researchers said. 
Metal joints typically last between 10 to 15 years. Columbia Medical School has a patent on the technology and is speaking to companies about commercial development and human trials. Many groups are working in the new field of regenerative medicine, which seeks to harness the power of master cells called stem cells to regrow diseased and damaged tissue. Experts claim that an increase in pharmaceutical dispensing by doctors in several states is driving up workers' compensation costs. They claim that more and more doctors are associating with companies that provide repackaged drugs to physicians' offices with irregular identity codes. In California, workers' comp reforms in 2007 curbed physician pharmaceutical dispensing. In 2006, just before California curbed doctor dispensing, repackaged drugs accounted for almost 55% of the state's workers' comp prescriptions and nearly 60% of prescription dollars. By 2008, after these reforms, repackaged drugs represented only 8.1% of workers' comp prescriptions and 5.8% of pharmaceutical payments. However, Repackaging appears to have been replaced in California by the increased prescribing of untested compounded drugs and medical foods. Compounded drugs typically are a mix of pharmaceuticals and ointments or creams that doctors sometimes prescribe if they believe that a patient cannot tolerate a drug internally. But compounded drugs are not subject to the FDA approval process that traditional pharmaceuticals undergo. Their efficacy, therefore, remains unproven. And compounded drugs typically are not subject to state fee schedules that cap pharmaceutical charges. Compounding drugs is a long-standing medical practice appropriate for some cases. But experts have observed in many instances that the use of compounded drugs appears to have no medical benefit for the injured worker. The California Society of Industrial Medicine and Surgery, also known as CSIMS, is an organization with over a 30-year history in California workers' compensation. Their membership of over 600 physicians performs services for injured workers. A few years ago, two CSIMS lobbyists were instrumental in turning around what was going to be a 40% reduction in the medical legal fee schedule into a 25% increase in fees. CSIMS has now focused their attention to newly announced proposed changes to the OMFS. According to information on their website, the newest OMFS proposal is no better than the one proposed last March. CSIMS claims that the fees paid by the new fee schedule will devastate an occupational medical practice. The DWC has proposed to convert the official medical fee schedule from its current relative value system to one based on the resource-based relative value system, or RBRVS, used by Medicare. CSIMS claims that this new proposal guarantees that California's workers' compensation medical reimbursement will be nearly the lowest in the nation. 
it seems likely that these concerns and claims will be presented by CSIMS lobbyists to the DWC before the OMFS changes become final. In the next few months, the community will see if the CSIMS concerns have any effect on what the DWC intends to do with the medical fee schedule now proposed. And in regulatory news, the Division of Workers' Compensation has made changes to several of its forms that filers use in the Electronic Adjudication Management System known as EAMS. The new forms will be posted on the DWC EAMS website. Here are some of the changes. The Declaration of Readiness to Proceed now includes a box for lien claimants to name themselves as a declarant and a box to request a lien conference. The document cover sheet has been changed to remove the box for the Vocational Rehabilitation Unit, which no longer exists. The document separator sheet has an amended listing of document titles and document types, both in the body of the sheet and on the PDF version. The updated forms were approved June 30th by the Office of Administrative Law. The DWC has posted the new version of the above-named forms on its website and encourages all filers to immediately use the new forms. To allow time for the transition, old versions of these three OCR forms will be accepted for a limited time at district offices. Participants in the eForms trial will also have updated forms and will begin using them immediately. The DWC is working with OCR form vendors to ensure that their forms are in compliance with these changes. For a complete list of the added and deleted titles, please see the DWC complete posting. And now in other news. Pacific Compensation Insurance Company announced the appointment of Chris DeSales to the position of Agency Relations Manager. DeSales has more than 30 years of experience with agents and brokers in the California workers' compensation insurance market. He formerly served as the Director of Collectively Bargained Workers' Compensation Programs at Majestic Insurance. Prior to this position, DeSales was the Director of Business Development at Seabright Insurance Company and National Director of Business Development for Camper Employers Group. DeSales will manage Pacific Comp's team of agency relations representatives who work to establish, build, and maintain relationships with producer partners. The Board of Directors of the State Compensation Insurance Fund announced it has named Thomas E. Rowe as President and CEO. Mr. Rowe replaces Jan Frank, who left the State Fund last October. Rowe joins State Fund from T. Rowe Strategies, a consulting firm serving the commercial property and casualty industry. His experience includes almost 25 years with Fireman's Fund Insurance Company, where he was the president of the Commercial Insurance Division. He has also held senior roles at Arthur J. Gallagher & Company and Trilogy Insurance Services. In addition to his executive experience, Rowe has served on the board of directors for Fireman's Fund, Allianz Insurance Company, the American Insurance Association, and the National Council on Compensation Insurance. Rowe's contract includes a three-year term. 
an annual salary of $450,000 and an annual bonus of up to 30% of his salary. He also receives California State Civil Service benefits. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPod, or iPad by searching for WorkComp Academy in the iTunes Store. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us. Please check our website again next week for more news.